The scripture reading for today is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. For I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. For I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what it's like to be a preacher. So some Sundays, uh, in getting ready for the sermon, I look at a passage and I'm like, yeah, buddy, that's right in the strike zone. I'm like, I know exactly how to hit this ball. And then there are other weeks like this one where I look at the passage and I'm like, what was I thinking having this as the text for this morning? Um, And, you know, probably some of you feel the same way as you read through Scripture. You read through some passages where you're like, oh, I know exactly how this applies to my life. Other passages where you're like, I would rather hit the fast forward button on this one and kind of skim on to the really good stuff that's right after this. And next week is a good stuff passage. Um, but I am sticking with this one. I, you know, I turn to the uh, internet and I'm like, where everybody turns in moments of you know, confusion. And I'm like, what do I do with this? And I was really encouraged to see how many pastors skip the passage. But... Um, I am not going to do that for two reasons. One is out of, out of a, a sense of principle. Um, we are a church that believes that all of God's word, all of it, is inspired by God. Even the travel log parts, like this one seems to be. Uh, even the parts that seem to have nothing, quote, to say to me today. That all of it is, as, for, as 2 Timothy 3 says, is, uh, 1 Timothy 3 says, it's useful for training correcting, teaching, it's, it's all got something to say to me. But as I really study this, I'm like, no, I'm not just preaching this because I have to, but because I want to this morning. I actually think this passage has some very important things to say to us and some very helpful things that we need to hear this morning. Um, you know, we've been picking up this theme throughout the summer, looking at the book of Philippians, which is the book that's about joy in the New Testament. And it's kind of surprising because the man who is writing the book is in prison and he's writing to a group of people who are suffering, not circumstances that we would think of as something to enjoy. But the book actually highlights, this letter actually highlights the difference between the way you see joy and the way the Bible sees joy, right? The Bible sees joy as joy despite, joy in spite of. You and I see joy as joy in, as in we know how to enjoy a good meal, We know how to enjoy friends. You know how to enjoy a new purchase. We know how to find joy in things. And so it's kind of surprising. As you read this passage, if you go down to verse 
29 and 30, we read about Paul talking about finding joy in leaders. Finding joy in leaders. Um, this is an absolutely countercultural idea for us today, and that's why I wanted to speak, with, speak to you about it. So let me start today by saying one of the most profound things the Bible has to say to you, one of the most profound things that the Bible has to say to you in this passage is that you need you need leadership. You need leadership. Now, this is great biblical scholarship. Look at me at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus. We're going to stop right there. Paul uses this term, Lord Jesus. And what, is, what does Paul mean by this? I mean, in our church and in many other churches, you'll hear us talk about Jesus as our Savior. We talk about how Jesus did everything we could never do, that he fulfilled perfectly the law of God, the, the, the standards of God for you, that Jesus came and died as a substitute for you and was raised from the dead. And we sing songs. We sang lots this morning about how God forgives us, and we love to sing that stuff. But in Scripture, one of the most common statements about who Jesus is is that he's not just Savior, he is Lord. And that word comes from the Old Testament. And it's a, it's a translation of Adonai, which is an Old Testament word, which was kind of a substitute word, a euphemism. You know, a euphemism is something you say when you don't want to say something else. Like freaking, you know, is a euphemism. Lord, Adonai, is a euphemism for the holy name of God. And that the Jewish people would not mouth God's true name. Because it was too holy. It was too sacred. They was, and it, it embodies all kinds of things. Charles Hodge says, this embodies everything. Like, Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is the Lord above all Lords. He has absolute dominion and power. When we claim that Christ is Lord, we are saying lots of things. But in the very least, what, you know what we're saying? We're saying, I need a leader. We're saying, Jesus, God has a right to being leader over my life. It means lots more than that, but it doesn't mean less than that. You know, it's assumed, this, this kind of concept about who God is as leader of your life is assumed by the very thing that Jesus called his followers. He called his disciples, those who followed the leader, who came after him, who followed him. And this idea of leadership is something, this, the idea of lordship is something that many Christians would say, Yes, you, you can hinge your neck and say, yes, I know that that's part of the basic Christian, you know, thought system. That's part of what it means to be a Christian is to say, Jesus is a Lord. He's a Savior, but he's a Lord. He's my leader. But let's be straight. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that, in fact, most people don't act like that functionally? You know, we, we want a God who saves us from our sins who is there if we need a, somebody to kind of fix things. You know, if, if stuff's kind of falling apart in your life, you want somebody to be able to call on, hey, God, I need some help. But we tend to view God as junior helper, personal assistant, you know, fall back. You fall back on God when you need to. And, you know, we tend to view God not as our leader, functionally. God, tell me what to do today. But God is kind of our... It's kind of our office manager, you know, God who kind of helps me out when I, when, I need, when I need some help. 
But let me ask you this about your life. Does your life support the idea that you are qualified to run your own life? Look at the evidence for some of the choices that you've made. Look at the history of the things that you've been drawn to, the things you've been excited about. Hey, you know, I really think this is going to be it this time. Does the evidence really add up that you are qualified to run your own life? Not me. Let me give you an example of this. When we were on vacation uh, last month, we, went, we took our kids to a fun zone. And um, one of the things that they had there was a ropes course. You guys have seen these before. And the kids put on a harness, and they climb up, and they, they've got this tether. And so I'm watching my 9-year-old, and he puts on the harness, and it's a four-story high deal, okay? So first story of this thing, you know, he is just walking through it. I mean, he is really, he is feeling very confident. Second story, he's knocking it out. Third story, he's doing good. He gets up to the fourth story. Now, the fourth story is way up there, and it's also harder. So there's these huge gaps of open space. And he's reaching from one rope and trying to grab the next one. And I can, t- I can see the panic. I can just see it, like, wash over him. And, and he starts to freak out. And I yell up to him, you got the tether, right? He's got the harness with the, 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 the guy line right up here, and it's tethered, and he's going to be okay. And he, he reaches up and grabs the thing and continues to walk across, and he's fine. And he comes down. And see, I think that's such a great picture of how most of us functionally think we need God. I've got it. First four, it's no big deal. I'm, I'm in charge. I got it. Second story, no problem. Third story, piece of cake. You come to a couple of situations, you're like, Maybe I do need that, right? But it's, it's, it's not like day-to-day functionally I need that all the time. It's like, you know, I need this as a last resort. My JV partner, Jesus, is helping me out. Let me tell you that story from another angle. This is the dad angle on this story. So I'm taking the kids up to the fun zone, and I'm looking at this thing, which looks like, you know, a death trap, and I'm like, I'm going, you're not getting on that thing without a harness, Right? I don't think he has it down. I don't think I've got this one, Henry. You know, I'm looking at this and going, you're not walking a step unless you put that harness on, and I'm confident that it's in place. That's how your Heavenly Father views you. He says, you know, your Heavenly Father looks at you and says, you need leadership in your life. You don't have this one. You're not confident and you can pull it off. You need, and, and one of the things that we learn from Scripture is that we need a Lord who is not just there like as a last-minute JV, but who's there moment by moment because the truth is we can't handle our lives. You know, this has been something that earlier people in church history have grabbed onto in ways that maybe for us is a little bit, feels a little bit distant. So one writer said this, And this would never be said today. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Man, do you think that way? The first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but its master? We're people who are like, I got this one. I don't need the help. Until, you know, really it's falling apart. The truth is we need a Lord. You know, uh, another, another writer... Fourth century, um, Augustine said, Jesus Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. You know, when we buy into this idea that 
Christ is not just Savior of my life, but he is the Lord of my life, which those two things can't be separated. If you, if you begin to get your head around this, you realize that there's no longer a singular pronoun in your life. It's not, I'm going to do this. This is my stuff. This is my house, my money. It's, no, this is we, and there's a, always a we. This is our house, Jesus. This is our stuff, Jesus. I need you to tell me what we are going to do today, Jesus. Because we're functionally saying, I need leadership. I need leadership. To call Jesus as Lord is to say, I need leadership in my life. But see what else Paul says in this passage? I know we only got three or four words into this, but see what else Paul says in this passage? You don't need just leadership. You need leaders. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of striking here. Many, this kind of rubs backwards against the, the culture, but Paul doesn't say, it's so great that it's you and the Holy Spirit. You got that. That's all you need. You know, if you look at people's Facebook uh, definitions of their faith, you know, you'll see people write things like, my only creed is Jesus Christ. Or, um, me and Jesus got a good thing going. I read that recently. I'm like, really? You and Jesus got a good thing going. Because we functionally say, hey, that's all the church I need, right? And, and yet, Paul says, no, you don't need just leadership. I'm sending you Timothy and Epaphroditus. I'm sending you these people. I hope to send them soon because you need not just leadership, you need leaders, you know, I find that there's a great undercurrent of cynicism um, among churched people, unchurched people, post-churched people, and de-churched people across the board about leadership in organized church. And with good reason, right? I mean, we have seen abuse after abuse. We've seen situation after situation where people have been in positions of leadership. They've been in place where they're supposed to providing care for people and they end up using them some of you have stories in this room that if i had hair would make my hair curl right some of you have stories and it's hard for you to show up here this morning because of those stories and i want to acknowledge that those are real and not make light of them you know a lot of us have seen models of leadership that look like this there's a guy driving the bus and everybody else is riding on the bus and you hope the guy driving the bus is not heading for a cliff. But there have been too many pictures of that. And so a lot of us have said, the bus driver model of church, no thanks. And I'm going to settle, therefore, for one of two options. One of two options. Either dismiss myself from the, excuse myself from the church, or look for a different model of what leadership should look like. So let's take those in, in turn. First is this. Become an independent Christian, right? I have no creed but Jesus. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. One writer says this, since some Christians are rather like a man going through a midlife crisis who dreams of a perfect woman to replace his aging wife. So the concept of a perfect universal church out there is used to rationalize abandonment of what is, to all, appearance, all appearances, a sagging, wrinkled, visible church. Traded in for a sexier model. That's what that means. Nowhere, to be sure, do, do the New Testament writers flinch from a full acknowledgement of sin and turmoil within the church. I love this statement. The apostles would have nodded. They would have grimly nodded if someone had suggested that the church is rather like Noah's Ark, 
If it weren't for the rain outside, you couldn't stand the stench on the inside. Right? Some of us feel that way. Man, it stinks in here. But the truth is, the apostles would never have said there's a category called people in the church who are Christians and people who are like church optional. Churches, you know, I can take it or leave it. This is throughout the Bible. Like, if you go through and you read the Scripture and you study, there are only two places in the whole Bible where church is ever used outside of a context to talk about a particular group of people with particular names and particular leadership. People always were part of a church, a community with people's names and numbers on cell phones and organization and that kind of thing. A lot of times we hear about like, man, I just wish we could get back to the the perfect church, the early church. I'm going to exempt myself from this thing because I know that it's messed up and I'm just going to be a part of like the universal jello mold of Jesus and all his people throughout the world and sort of unidentifiable and I'm feeling groovy with that. But the, the New Testament writers would never have said that works. This is so odd. You know, if you look through church history, what we have today where you have kind of independent Christians, you know, think of these words. Augustine said, no one can have God as father who doesn't have church as mother. And you never hear that these days. Identifying yourself with a particular group of people is absolutely biblical. It's absolutely biblical. There are no independent Christians. You don't just need Jesus as a leader, as leadership. You need leaders. But the second idea that people run to, they're like, okay, well, I'll stay part of the church, but I want the church to look sort of like an amoeba. You know, an amoeba, single-celled organism. I'm trying to take you back to biology class. A single-celled organism, and it's got no discernible head. It's just a blob, right? Just a blob. And a lot of people are like, that's what church should be like. That's what the early church was like. Let's get back to that, where it's like, we don't have like all the like structures and leadership grids. We don't want any of that. We want an amoeba. That was where it's at. But in the real world, people, leadership, leadership shows its value when it's absent. So yesterday, I took my kids to camp. I drove them up to camp. And we show up at camp, and I am really glad, I am really, really glad when there's someone who comes up to me who has a name tag for my kid, who's got a clipboard with my kid's health info on it, who's got like... Oh, here's the master's schedule for what's going on at camp. And, you know, if I'll just tell you what it's like to, to be a, a, a dad in this sense. If that wasn't happening, if there wasn't some leadership visible, I'm, the bags are going back in the car and we're driving back to Philly. Because leadership matters. And leadership is always most valuable. You always see the value of leadership when it's absent. That's true in the real world. That's true in the Bible. I always caution people from tearing apart the organizational church and just saying, yeah, we're done with that, or we need an amoeba model. Because, well, you know, I do this because it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. No church is in the new, mentioned in the New Testament without mentioning identifiable leaders. And the churches in the New Testament never have the guy driving the bus. See, Paul's writing to the Philippians, how many people is he sending to them? How many? Two, Timothy and Epaphroditus. The model of leadership for the church is a group of people leading together. There's no bus driver. But I always caution people to tear, from tearing apart the institutional church and saying, we just need an amoeba. That's like the New Testament way because it's impossible. 
You know, an amoeba is not just a blob. It's actually, for a small, single-celled organism, it's incredibly complex. It has structure. It has, it, it, it actually is organized into, as, a, as a, a piece of matter. It's not just there. You know, I watched um, my sister, who lives outside of Boston. They had a house church, which was an amoeba church, right? No discernible, discernible leadership. And I watched this thing go from 20 people to two. Because without leadership, without what the Bible defines as leadership, things get sick fast. And church becomes about whatever anybody wants it to be. It's biblical. We don't just need leadership from Jesus, but leaders. Now, you know, I find that Philippians 2 shows us that there's another option. See, we can't imagine in, in the day where we have, many of you have abuse, seen abuses in the church, abuses of leadership, abuses of authority. Many of us don't have the imagination to be able to figure out any other way that this could look. You know, can there be authority that's used in service? Let me remind you where we've been. We read two weeks ago, three weeks ago, from Philippians 2, earlier in this chapter, about one guy named Jesus who had absolute authority, who had ultimate authority, and yet Jesus who lays it down in meaningful service. See, authority and service we see in Jesus himself are not, they're not contradictory. Authority can be used in ways that is actually life-giving and life-empowering. Now look, I know what you're thinking. Like, hey, I know that you're like, Jeff, no one's confusing you or Jay or Eric or Mike or any of the elders in our church, any of your home meeting leaders. You're not confusing them for Jesus. You're not like, oh, you. Yeah, nobody's confusing us for Jesus. You know, it'd be great if we had Jesus as head of our church. Well, we do. And part of what we, we have to wrestle with as a community is how do we, by faith, deal with current leaders who are, who are failed people and yet exercise faith that God is able to at work within his church? This is where I want to go with this. So this is what Paul says, verse 29. He says, I want you to rejoice at seeing your leaders again. Receive them with all joy and honor such men. You know, do you hear how countercultural that is rejoice with leadership honor such leadership how do we do that let me give you three very tangible things first is this let me let me say this the bible holds this paradox right the bible always holds a paradox the bible is unflinchingly honest about the failure of leaders within scripture you know the bible is unique among the the texts of world religions in defining its leaders as flawed so you can study the pages of Scripture and you go through and you're like, these people are not great advertisements for God and his ways in the world. You read of King David in the Old Testament, a man who seduces a woman and kills her husband. This is, quote, a man after God's own heart. You read of Gideon, another Old Testament leader, who is called Mighty Warrior, and yet he's hiding out among the bushes. You know, he's afraid. He's full of fear. You read of Peter. Jesus, well, Jesus' closest friend, right? Jesus' best buddy, in the moment when he needs him the most, denies him and abandons him. You read of, of Paul, who in a letter right after this, he would write again to this guy, Timothy. He would say, Timothy, 
I am the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst there is. Do you hear how the Bible holds this strange paradox? Unflinchingly honest about its leaders. Unflinchingly honest about its leaders. And yet, you know, leaders, sinful people, are called to lead within the community. You know, there's implications for this for leaders. Some of you, look, some of you are serving right now, or you've served this past year as home meeting leaders. Some of you are wrestling with that for the future. Can I serve on the care team? Can I serve as a deaconess? Can I, can I be involved in mercy ministries in this church? And some of you are like, my life is too jacked up. My life is way too screwed up for that. There is no way I, I, I I'm, I'm out before I start. Do you see the paradigm in Scripture is not perf- people who are perfect. It's people who are dependent. People say, I am the chief of sinners. I rely on God's grace. And I'm stepping out to learn to, to be a person who can, is, is actually modeling Christ in the rest of this world. Not because I'm doing it perfectly, but because I depend on him. I'm tethered. I'm dependent. I call on my Lord. This has implications for followers. We look in our church, and, you know, one of the things I caution you as we live in community together is it's easy to compare ourselves to other people. It's either easy to build yourself up. It's easy to tear other people down. We are a community that says we live by gospel grace, and we call each other to standards. We say we live by gospel grace, we call each other to standards. So here are the paradox. We're called to follow sinners in our community, and yet, we believe that Jesus is head of his church and somehow he works through fallen people to work for his good within his, this community, within this body. It's critically important that we as a community learn to honor our leaders. Hebrews 13 tells us some of the benefits of having leaders. And if you, if you read Hebrews 13, it says some very difficult things for me to read. It says this, It says, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of the way of life, and imitate their faith. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, I have lots of reasons that I'm up in the middle of the night, but one of the biggest ones is this. Those words tell me as a pastor, tell us as a leadership community, that we're accountable for how we care for people. We're accountable for, for what we teach and how we care for people. You want to talk about things that I get freaked out over is how am I doing in my account? In, am I, I'm accountable for the spiritual well-being of this community. We as elders are accountable for that. How are we doing with that? But do you see how that's a tremendous gift for the body of Christ, for this community, that there's somebody besides you who's accountable for you? There's someone in addition to you who's accountable for you. We need leaders. My calling is for us to embrace our leaders, and as this passage says, to honor them. Here's how you honor them. One is to receive the gifts that they give you. Our church has a system of care for people in our community called home meetings. And this is how we provide care to our community. We say, look, if you're part of a home meeting, then we know that you have other people around you who are talking about God's word, who are trying to pray for you and trying to live in community together. All of our elders oversee home meeting leaders. Our home meeting leaders reach out to this community. And I've noticed that it's the people who say, I feel exempt from this. I want to step out of this system. Are the folks who, in general, as a church, tend to be those who are dealing with major conflicts that are unresolved, who are like, 
you know, spiritually kind of starving. It's people who separate themselves from what God has provided through the leadership of this community who end up being the ones that, as elders, we have to do a lot of follow-up with. Receive the gifts that are offered to you from leadership. Receive the gifts. Um, second is respect your, the, the authority of your leaders. You know, I'm going to step on some toes, but spiritual leaders carry a unique amount of, of authority in your life. You know, in Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Peter and the other disciples, this wasn't just for Peter, he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You've got a, a, a keychain. You know, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. This, is, this means that there's a certain amount of spiritual leadership and authority that's entrusted to the leaders of a church. We don't have authority to tell you, you know, like, you know, what kind of car to buy. But there is a certain amount of authority. You know, as a culture, we like to pretend like everybody's the same. You know, used to be that I would never call anybody 10 years older than me by my first name. I'm a southern boy. You don't do that. Right? Everything now is flattened out. Right? Everybody's everybody's everybody else's buddy. One of the, one of the truths about this, about God's word, is it says, you know what? As pastors and elders... You know, there is a certain amount of spiritual authority, and everybody's not the same. Respect and honor the authority of your leaders. Respect and honor them. And finally, encourage your leaders. You know, I find that your home meeting leaders, the best ones in our community, are not doing great. They're doing okay. You ask them, how, how are you feeling right now? How, how are you growing spiritually? They're like, I'm doing all right. Our best... You know, our elders who've been, like, plugging along here for years, how are they doing? They're getting by. We're a community that needs to learn to encourage one another. One of the ways that I would call you to honor your leaders, whether it's your home meeting, you know, other people in your lives, who, is to take them out to lunch and tell them how much you, you care about them. Take God's word and say, look, this is what you've done for me in my life. Be very direct with your words. Hey, I want to encourage you. You're doing great things for the kingdom, and this you matter. What you've done, it matters in my life. Thank you. We're a community starved for encouragement of one another. You know, embrace, embrace leadership. So here's been my outline so far. You need leadership. You need a Lord. You need leaders who have skin on them. Embrace your leaders. And finally is this, embrace leadership. You know, we read about these two guys in this passage, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And as I said last week, look, pastors don't hatch out of some weird egg somewhere. Leaders don't hatch out of some egg somewhere. Timothy and Epaphroditus are not aliens from another planet. These are people who you can, particularly Timothy, you can see that person growing up throughout the, the New Testament. And my call to you is this, this morning is this. Look, everybody here is in leadership. Everyone here is in leadership. Embrace being a leader. And here's what I mean by that. Everyone is in leadership. Some of you are more aware than this than others. Some of you are called mom. That's a form of leadership. Some of you coach, you know, a softball team. Some of you are in leadership in, the, in a classroom or at work, and you have an identifiable role where you're like, yeah, I know I'm in leadership in that area of my life. But the truth is that we're, you are in leadership all the time. Have you ever go, gone to a fancy dinner? Where you're kind of looking around to see which fork you're supposed to use, right? 
Or if you remember back to if you ever went to your junior prom or junior high dance, everybody's watching everyone else. This is what's happening all the time. We are people who are constantly reading other people around us. You look at other people and you say, I know what that person values by what they do. I know that what that person means by what they say. I, I listen and I look and I, I see they are showing, they're, they're demonstrating, every person is demonstrating some form of leadership that other people were patterning ourselves off of each other all the time. You're already in leadership. But will you embrace what it means actually to lead? To, to say, you know what, I'm going to take seriously the call to like step up in someone else's life around me. To step up. You know, if you're a follower of Christ, then you are a follower, but you're also called to lead. You're also called to lead. You know, this is very, uh, I can demonstrate this very easily with my family life. Today is the, like the family stories from Jeff. So, um, raising, we have six sons, and I've noticed that the, with the younger ones, we have less and less influence on them, and the older boys have much more and more influence on them. So, this was very apparent, um, the way that everyone's in leadership a couple weeks ago, when I realized our 18-month-old laughs when people pass gas. Right? He thinks that's funny. Now, where did that come from? Our oldest kid, when he was that age, didn't think that was funny. His brothers laugh, right? So he's like, oh, that's hilarious. You know, he laughs along with them. And he does it automatically. Nobody has to be there. He laughs, right? And so, like, everyone's in leadership. You learn things from other people. And yet, within that, there's a way that that people are also called to lead. We as a family, every night, or almost every night we try to do this, we, we gather after dinner, we look at God's word together, we pray, and we confess our sins. And our kids are used to talking about God and his word. So we were on vacation. We went one Sunday to my parents' church, and we went to, um, they had Sunday school in a room kind of like this, about 200 people in the room. And the guy is speaking, and it's a kind of a Bible study. We're like talking about this passage. And he says, does anybody have an answer? And somebody behind me raises his hand. And uh, he's like, oh, you over there. And I turn around to see who it is, and it's my nine-year-old, who is the shyest member of my family. And yet, I'm watching spiritual leadership then. I'm watching him stand up and be counted. You know, each of us, each of you is being tapped for leadership. This is the tap for leadership sermon, okay? Each of you is being tapped. You know, last year, you know what? Our elders on our elders uh, on our uh, leadership retreat, we got together and we prayed for our community, and we prayed for our community on three lines. We pray, God, would you make Liberty to be a hospital for sinners? Would you help people come in here and feel like you know it's okay that I don't have my life together before God because that's not what it's about. It's about God's grace. We prayed. We prayed, God, would you make Liberty Church into a place that is a greenhouse for leadership? Where people are learning, hey, this is what it means for me to be a Christian. I'm going to step up. We prayed for that. Then we prayed, God, would you make Liberty Church to be a launch pad? That we are sending people out. We're like, boom, rockets going out. We want to impact our community, our city, and our world through the people sitting in this room. One of my favorite things about this community, one of my absolute favorite things about our church is this. There is no bench. You cannot sit around here long. We won't let you. We believe everyone has something to offer. Everyone has areas in which you can express leadership in the way that God has wired you for the good of this community and the good of this city. And we're looking for that. 
We want to help you move that direction. You know, did you see Paul's description of Timothy? It's kind of an odd statement. He says here, verse 22, How as a father he has served, with a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That may not make a whole lot of sense to you, but Paul is describing an, the ancient way that people actually grew in their careers. Right? You know, about 100 years ago or more, nobody was asking, hey, what am I going to be when I grow up? You were what your parents did. You were an apprentice in their industry. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Timothy was like a son who watched what his dad was doing and did what his dad was doing. You know, so 100 years 50 years ago, if your dad was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If your dad was a baker, you were a baker. If your dad was a wheelwright, you're a wheelwright. And Paul's saying, look, this is how leadership happens in the church. Leaders don't hatch from eggs. They imitate. They follow. Let me ask you this. How did you learn to drive a car? I had a, a driver's ed course where we, where we had to read a little book, right? And you went and sat in the trailer, the simulator, and there's a movie, and you fell asleep while the movie's going on. There's a wheel, steering wheel, and it doesn't really matter what you do. That, that didn't teach me how to drive. I learned to drive by being with my dad, who lost his temper with me over and over again. So I got it, right? That's how you learn. Well, for many of you, how did you learn to pray? You know, praying is not one of those things you read the Bible, and you're like, I automatically know how to pray here. Jesus gave us a pattern, but you learned to pray from other people. So if you grew up in a, like a a very formal home, you learn to pray with these and thous and those and thus, right? If you learn to pray like Christian fellowship, that's how you learn to pray, you use the word just all the time. You know, God, I just am glad you're just here. It's so glad you're just here with just us right now, right? You learn to pray from other people. People grow by patterning themselves by other, off of others. You know, this is the connection in this passage. Paul writes to him in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and he's like, hey, Serve each other. Honor each other. Don't consider your own interests. Consider those of other people. And he says of Timothy and Epaphroditus, here's two people who don't think about their own interests. He says, here's your example. Follow it. Look, here's my challenge. People come to liberty and they don't remember my sermons. And it makes me sad. But honestly, that's okay. People don't remember what I say. People don't remember the individual lessons that you home meeting leaders offer up in a, in a group. Sorry, they don't. You know what they remember? People. You know, think of the, the five best sermons you can think of. Can you tell me the outline? No. Think of the five top people who have shown you Jesus. You can tell me those people. That's how this church grows. That's how the city has changed. That's how leadership happens in our church. Look, all of you are in leadership. Where is God calling you to lead? Where is God tapping you and saying, you can't sit here anymore. You can't excuse yourself from the game because you don't have it together. You know what? Grab some grace, call Jesus your Lord, and step out. This is the calling. Let me invite you to respond to this sermon this morning. I'm going to give you several ways to respond, and I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Some of you are here, and you have been, you've, you've never turned your life over to God. And some of you need to say, God, I'm doing a terrible job running my life. I need you to be my Lord. You need to ask God, you need to pray. Maybe it's the first time you pray. You say, God, please 
Show me yourself. Take over because I am not, I'm driving this bus off a cliff. Some of you have been running and you've been hurt and you've seen things that were hurtful and you have therefore like excused yourself from the whole church thing. And my call to you is to stop playing independent Christian. You know, this is not a perfect church. We do not have our stuff together. You scratch much beneath the surface, you're going to be disappointed here. I don't care. My calling for you is to be a part of this or another body that's trying to follow Christ together. Throw your lot in, jump in, stop sitting on the edge. Some of you need to say, God, I repent of my independence, my being wise in my own eyes. I need a church. Some of you have been excusing yourself from leadership. And you're like, I know that God's given me opportunities. I know he's nudging and pushing me. And you're like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't, somebody else can do this. You know, my invitation to you is to yield yourself to God's leadership. To say, God, I, I need to see what you're going to do in my life. To pray that. God, lead me. And some of you have been running from church leadership. There are people who've been coming after you, trying to speak into your life. And I, my call to you is to honor your leaders. And pray, God, help me to know how to submit myself to other people speaking in. I'm going to give you a few moments to pray silently before we come to God's table together.